so we've been going along this road to the kingdom and we've gone through the, you know, the, the heights of creation and seeing that everything had been made especially for us and then we went and saw what happened when we rejected and rebelled against God and all that is good and of course in our you know, in our rejection, our rebellion, we not only rejected what was good, we realized there's something good about good, and since we rejected what God said was good, we kind of needed to figure it out ourselves. And we tried to, to restore and make everything good the way we thought it should be good. And as you might imagine, we messed everything up. We messed up this world that God had made. That didn't just make, he made it especially for us. He made it good especially for us. He made it so that we could not just live here, but we could thrive here. He gave us more than what we needed on this earth. And we managed to mess it up. And in rejecting God and rebelling against God, we enslaved ourselves to sin. And once we enslaved ourselves to sin, we were no longer our, our master. We were no longer like God in the way that we thought we would be. Instead, we became enslaved to our passions, enslaved to our lusts, enslaved to our minds. And, and it created this, this situation that, that if again, as I said a little bit earlier, if you really look at it, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. Oh, you're going to get the sunshine pumpers out there that's telling you about how great and how wonderful different, you know, you know different approaches you know, different ways that people have, philosophies about how we should live. But if you really look at the situation, we are at best doomed to just keep repeating the same cycles that we've done throughout our human history. Or worse, we're doomed to self-destruct. See, what's different about Sin, humanity enslaved to sin, you know, several thousand years ago. What's different, about, what's different about then than now is back then, you know, you look at Cain and Abel and, and that first murder and you're like, all right. How, you know, that was that same, you know, sin that had just, controlled Cain to the point that he would murder his brother. But the difference is, you know, he might have only had a rock to kill him with or a stick. We know now that we have far more powerful things than rocks and sticks. What's going to happen when we have all the things that we have, just the weapons that we have, put in the hands of humanity that's enslaved to sin, that's obsessed with power, 
What's going to happen? Well, let's say all of that doomsday scenario doesn't happen, you know. Um, I mean, those of you who, uh, you know, were in elementary school in the 50s and 60s, and I don't think they did this by the 70s. I don't remember doing it. But you remember how they used to have, like, the atomic bomb drills in your school, and, you know, you're supposed to go under your desk because apparently atomic bombs couldn't go through your desk. Um, I'm not sure what the point of that was other than easier to find your bodies. Just look under the desk. Um, you know, we, we, even if that doomsday doesn't happen, even if that doesn't happen, just look in our, in our society or look at the different cultures around the world the different nations that are vying for power. That, that what happens when they get power, no matter how they make it sound, how they say like, hey, you know, those corrupt, powerful people, we want to we get them out so we can put better people in there. What always happens? Better people doesn't mean they're not going to become powerful and corrupt. Power still drives our human society at the interpersonal level and all the way up to the global level. It's hopeless. And if you live in this world and, 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 and you're kind of a younger person who's probably going to be in this world longer than, than, than a lot of the rest of us, you might be going like, well, that's rather bleak. And without the hope that we are going to talk about today, the living hope that not only is hope for the future, but hope that we can experience right now, without that, it's no wonder suicide rates are going up. There's no wonder the value of life is going down. And when I talk about the value of life, I'm not simply talking about the big issues like euthanasia and, and abortion. But I'm also talking about the value of life that, that people put on their own lives or on the life of someone else. That they're willing to do Reckless things for no purpose other than the thrill of it. Again, it would be quite depressing. But it's the road to the kingdom. And the road to the kingdom that began with the good creation and then, in, and then moved into our rebellion and then our enslavement. And now as we look at our hopelessness, none of this is surprising to God. It was all something that he knew had to happen. It's where the road had to go. Because when we get this, when we go through this process, we're going to come to this conclusion. The conclusion that we need to come to, 
The conclusion that the world needs to come to more and more is that we cannot save ourselves. It doesn't matter how hard we try. It doesn't matter how many um, you know, conferences we have to talk about you know, international politics and all of these things. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many you know, town hall meetings we have. It doesn't matter who we elect and put into office. It doesn't matter. We cannot save ourselves. And by ourselves, I mean each of us individually and all of us collectively. We cannot. And this first part of the road is to help us understand that and to help us know that. And of course, this then points us to the, to the next thing because if it just ended there, if it just ended there with, ah, oh, we can't save ourselves, ah, oh, okay, whatever. We just go along as long as we can. No, the message of the gospel, the message of the Bible, the road to the kingdom, the plan is that only God can save and his rescue plan is Jesus. Only God can save. Only God can save each of us. And only God can save all of us collectively. And so that's the, the, the next few weeks as we go through as we go through Advent. The next few weeks we're gonna be following that road to the kingdom, we're going to be, we're going to be looking at, okay, this is, the, this is the rescue plan. This is, you know, this is where we see the hope. This is where we see the kingdom, the city on a hill. And so we go and we start back at the beginning. In a sense, we go back to creation, actually before creation. And John in his gospel is going to help us understand who this Jesus truly is. One of the weird things about the early church is that in the early church, and it's talking like first and second century, in the early church, they didn't really struggle with Jesus being God. They were good with that. The, the people that were trying to give false teachings was that they struggled with Jesus being really human. Like they could deal with the Jesus being God and why could they deal with it? Well, because in the first century, they knew people. They either saw Jesus himself doing God-like things or they knew people who they believed and they trusted who saw Jesus doing God-like things. No problem. No problem saying, yeah, Jesus is God. But one of the false teachings that tries to creep in is, yeah, but he wasn't really human. And one of the reasons John is writing what he's writing is because he wants to tell us who Jesus truly is. And he's not just going to reaffirm that Jesus was truly God. He's also going to reaffirm that Jesus was truly human. And so we go to John chapter 1, verse 1. 
And John very intentionally connects the beginning of this gospel with the beginning of the Hebrew Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. so much here. I love this passage of scripture. We went over it in the, the Greek class that we did recently and, and there's, it's so rich. There's, it's got theology that all of us would drown in if we spent enough time on it. But for this morning I want us to look at what John is saying in particular about the road to the kingdom. Because this is the beginning of his gospel. And in the same gospel, he is going to say, he's going to write that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is going to say, I'm the plan. I'm the way. And so right up front, What does John establish for us? He establishes in the first few verses that this word, this word that becomes flesh, who we now, later on in in John, will recognize is he's talking about Jesus. He's saying that this word was with God the Father, but also was God. And I don't have time to go into all the the intricacies and the mysteries of the Trinity. But he's not saying there's another God, but he's saying something about God. That God somehow exists differently from the rest of us. Differently from anything else in his creation. And that differences that 
that the one God can simultaneously be Father, Son, and Spirit. And he identifies him. He says all things were made through him. He's the creator. And then he talks about life and light. And that this in, in the word, in Jesus, was life itself. And that when Jesus shows up in this world, the true light shows up. He brings light to the world. And those who see, those who receive, those who believe, they will become children of God. And then he leaves no doubt at the end. He says, the word became flesh. The word became flesh. This eternal logos, this eternal word that had existed with God the Father for all of eternity becomes flesh. And when he does, he reveals to us grace. He reveals to us truth. But he also reveals to us who God really is. But I want you to get what's from the very beginning. Because in the very beginning, when he says in the beginning was the word, he's not saying in the beginning the word was created. He's just said everything created came from the word, came through the word. Instead he's saying in the beginning the word already was. The word already existed. And so when we think about Jesus being the way, one thing we have to to keep in mind is that Jesus has always been the way. He's always been the way. It's interesting because the, the Greek word for, for way is actually where we get the word road in English. In Greek, it's something like hodos. But it's, he's the, it's the way the road. He's always been the way. And this is going to tell us something very, very interesting, but also very powerful about Jesus and about the way and about the gospel. Because Jesus shows the way and he is the way. This isn't Jesus as a signpost. It isn't like, oh, Jesus got me on path, gave me the direction. I know which way to go. Thanks, Jesus. You know, help the next guy. I, I got this. No, no, no. He is, he is not just pointing the way. He does point the way. He gives us an example. He gives us things that we should, should do and believe and and, and experience. He tells us all that. He shows us the way, but he also is the way. One of the tests of your Christianity, one of the tests of whether you are still where you need to be is how personal, how personal is your Christianity? What do I mean by that? 
What I mean by that is how much of your Christianity is a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ was just showing us the way, we no longer need a relationship with him. We just need to follow the the path. We just need to do the things he said to do and check them off. But if Jesus is the way, then Jesus is there all the way. And it's personal. It's not just a set of rules a set of rituals, a set of doctrines. And I really want to challenge us in this because I know that 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 experience of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, for me, it was so much more palpable when I was younger. And, And it's so tempting as you live and, and, and you, you get used to doing the things that we should do as Christians. To just get caught up in doing them. And forgetting that this is personal. I want you to study God's word so that you know what God is, is telling us what to do. I want you to study God's word because I want you to understand his kingdom more. But I also want you to study God's word so that you know Jesus more. You know who he is. You know how he thinks. You know what he values. Because the more you will know Jesus from his word, the more you will see Jesus in this world. The more you will see Jesus in those around you, who say that they are in Christ and Christ is in them. The more you will see Jesus in the church that calls itself the body of Christ. I cannot emphasize enough. Is your relationship with with Jesus Is your Christianity, is it personal? Do you look for him? Do you want to know him more? Do you care what he thinks about you? Jesus is the way. But he also shows us the way. And what does he show us? Well, if we went through the whole gospel, we would see this, that one of the things he shows us is he shows us obedience. He shows us the importance of obedience. One of the things you find in a lot of like modern um, philosophies, and you also find this in a lot of modern versions of Christianity that have become kind of, you know, more humanistic, What you find is we, we want to leave behind those, those, you know, those old terms like Lord, Master, so dominating. We want to leave behind words like obedience. And there's a lot of churches that get caught up in this. Even churches that 
are still trying, you know, still trying to hold to God's word and be conservative and all of that with God's word, they, they still want to leave behind those words. Because it's become more about like, oh, if, if we talk about Jesus as Lord, then, you know, it makes me feel, you know, small. Well, yeah, that's what it's supposed to do. But it, it hurts my feelings. It makes me feel like, you know, like, like I, I don't feel good about myself. And, and then, you know, people will then start to use that, you know, and they'll start to use it against each other. No, Jesus forever. Jesus forever puts a stamp on obedience to the Father. If Jesus is seeking to do God's will, seeking to do his Father's will, and is doing it even unto death on a cross, how could we ever leave obedience behind? How could that ever be a possibility? We used to make this joke when I used to teach. I say joke, it's partly true. That, you know, teaching, you know, we'd, we'd usually come to class, or we'd usually show up at school the day before the school year started, and all the teachers would be sitting around and getting our classes ready and, you know, having lunch, a couple meetings, and we'd say like, wow, this job is so much better when there's no students around. It's true, in a way, but what is teaching if you don't have students? There's a lot of Christians who feel like Christianity would be so much better if there wasn't any obedience involved. If there was no real sense of right and wrong, how much better? Well, it's not Christianity. Because Jesus' obedience is actually an expression of his love. Because what Jesus is showing us is he's showing us true love. What Adam and Eve did, what Adam and Eve did was not out of love for God. In fact, it was, it was saying to God, God, you're not as great as you think you are. It was disrespectful. They're rejecting him. They were saying, you know what, God, we're at least as good as you. Which either means we're everything you say you are or you're not who you say you are. Jesus comes and says, no. God is who he says he is. Everything he gave us, even his laws, were for our benefit. Out of his wisdom, out of his goodness, out of his love. And Jesus says, I will obey them. It's an expression of his love. And we're going to get to this later on in the sermon series. John will be preaching on this. But it's, we also see the way is to love and God demonstrates his love in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. We see what true love is. It's not this love that's 
caught up in, in, in our ego, in our selfishness, in our pride, in our need to be needed, and all of those things. But it's truly selfless, truly unconditional, sacrificial. But again, not to, not to keep coming back to this, but I think it's important to come back to this, that Jesus also shows us that it is impossible to follow the way without Jesus the way doing it for you, being in your life. You go, well, on one hand you might say, well, it was easy for Jesus. He was God. Yeah, you're right. It was easy for Jesus because he was God. And you're not. It wasn't just easy for Jesus. It was only possible because Jesus was God. And we're not. Following the way means that we, we understand that we cannot do this on our own. We, know, we don't only need to be shown the way. We need the one who is the way to take us along the path. The second thing we see in verses 9 through 12 is that Jesus came to give eternal life with God. He came to give eternal life. He talks about light. And some people think of light as like knowledge and all of that. But, but really up ahead, it, in verse 4, it said, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He, when he talks about life, he's actually talking about life. It's not simply knowledge. It's life, and it's not simply physical life. It's all that life was intended to be. And that's why he says in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is new life. This is being born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but being born of God. Something new. We're, we're just not. We're just not the same old, you know, people we were. That Jesus comes and dusts us off, and then says, "Okay, go along your way." No. We're not just cleaned up versions of ourselves. We are made new. There is. If if you became a Christian when you were an adult or a teenager. It's harder for some of us who became Christian when we were children. But if you became a Christian as an adult and you've been a Christian for any number of years, and I'm talking like, you know, three, four, five, six, seven years, there should be things that you thought, that you valued, that you thought were right. There should be things from before you were a Christian that you look back now on and think like, I don't. I don't recognize that person. If you're just simply the same old person that you were, but the only difference was, you know, you got baptized or you prayed a prayer one day and you said, you know, my life's going pretty good. I'm just going to let Jesus jump on the train with me. 
I don't think you, you, you understand. What Christ came to do was not clean us up, not just help us along the way. He came to make us new. He didn't just come to throw us up on his shoulder and carry us. He came to make us new. And we don't always realize that. Some of us do right, when we become Christians. There's radical change. But others of us, over time, we look back and we go, wow, I am not who I was. I, am, I know where I was going. I know what filled my heart. I know what motivated me. I know what I valued. I know what I lived for. And those things are gone. And Jesus has made me new. He gives life. And he is life. Just like he shows the way and he is the way. He gives life and he is life. There is no life without him. Oh, you can have physical life. You can live out your days on this earth. But if you want true life, the way that God created us, to experience life as Adam and Eve in some way, was limited way, was able to experience life in fellowship with God. If you want that life and you want it eternally, it is only found in Jesus Christ. And is not something he gives us, just like he doesn't just show us the way and say, okay, head off. He doesn't just give us life and show us the way and say, okay, take that life and go and I'm going to sit back here. No, he is the life. He is the way. He goes with us every step of the way. It is a personal relationship. And it's not just this idea that, that he gives us this thing. But as we saw in verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is going to go one step further. Here, he's, John's just introducing the idea that, that Jesus was with us. What he's going, to, he's going to add to us is that he's not just with us. What we're going to find later on is that he is in us. He's in us. And he's not in, in you until you're made new until you come to faith in Jesus Christ. We don't look at all of humanity and say, Jesus, there's a little Jesus in everybody. No, there's not. It's life. And it's not just life. It's life with God. Eternal life with God. So remember, what had happened? Well, the relationship was broken through sin. Humanity rebelled more and more against God, even to the point of creating false gods and worshiping those gods. If that were the, to continue, would you want to spend forever with God? Would you want to be forever in a relationship with someone who you have wronged? Well, let's flip it around from God's perspective. Would you want to spend eternity with a bunch of people that reject you and rebel against you and don't even think you're worthy to be God? No, this is eternal life. This talks about reconciliation. 
perfect unity. I don't know all that eternal life will be. I don't know all that lies ahead. But I do know this, that it will be perfect unity with God. Perfect unity with the God who loves us, with the God who created us, and the God who knows us. Perfect unity with the God who loves us so much that he would save us, and he wouldn't just save us, he would make us new, and he would invite us back. That God. Perfect unity. And then the last point we see in verses 14 through 18. Jesus came to show us who God is. Jesus has always been the way. He came to show us the way. Jesus came to give life. He gives life and he is life. And here we see Jesus came came to show us who God really is. And here again we see that he reveals God and he is God. He shows the way, he is the way. He gives life, he is life. He reveals God and he is God. Jesus reveals God just by showing up. You don't have to say anything. Like, he shows up, that's God. Jesus says that. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Just by showing up. And what we're seeing here is we're seeing if the word is that, be, that becomes flesh is, the, is, is Jesus who, who will save us. And we're being saved in such a way that we have, we're given new life. What we see is that only God can save us this way. See, if all we needed to do is to be cleaned up, Maybe God could have just sent a messenger to say, repent, and then we could be cleaned up. But we needed more than just to be cleaned up. We needed more than just forgiveness. Only God can save in the way that he saves us and he makes us new and he gives us new life and we're forever changed. Only God. He came to show us who God is. He came to show us these these two things that we've been talking about, that God is love. And we see Jesus as this, this great ongoing example of love. But he also comes to show us that God is holy. Jesus will be accused of being the friend of sinners because he hangs out with the prostitutes and he hangs out with the tax collectors and probably a whole lot of other people that were, that were kind of the, the outcasts of society. And he's called friend of sinners. Yeah, he is friend of sinners. Unfortunately, a lot of people just get caught up in the God is love part and they go, well, we should be friend of sinners like Jesus was. And so they'll go, they'll say like, we should be friend of sinners, which then also becomes endorsing what the sinners do, approving of what the sinners do. But what we find about Jesus is that, is that Jesus is not just friend of sinners in the sense that he will befriend them, but he is a friend of sinners in that he refuses to leave them in their sin. He constantly tries to give them a way out of their sin. He doesn't leave them in their sin. 
When we only get this half right, when we only get the God is love, but we forget the God is holy part, we will love sinners and we will just, hey, have a great time and, and they'll never know that there's any other way. In fact, they will think that we approve of it. We even find Jesus on the cross, again, showing his love, God's love and God's holiness, when he says, Father, forgive them. On one hand, he's showing his love because he's saying, my enemies, the guys who are killing me right now, the guys who are making fun of me right now, the guys who've been, who've been torturing me, forgive them. Forgive all of those people in the crowd that are happy that I'm dying. Forgive them too. That's love. But we miss the holiness part. The holiness part is they have to be forgiven. If there was no right and wrong, if Jesus had no concept of good and bad, God's law, anything like that, obedience, why do they need to be forgiven? They're just you know, expressing themselves. That's all they're doing. They're a little misguided, but they don't need forgiveness. No, they need forgiveness, and they need forgiveness from God. And so we come to this idea that this isn't just mindless love. That what, when Jesus shows us who God is, and he shows us that God is both love and God is holy. It's not just mindless love. It's not just heartless holiness. It's purposeful love. It's holy love. And what is the purpose? The purpose of God's love in our lives is so that we might be holy. And so that we might Know this perfect unity. And so we see the hope. And we see Jesus who's come to show us this is the possibility for humanity. This is the possibility for your life. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live angry and bitter. You don't have to have a sense of hopelessness and purposelessness. I came that you would live in perfect unity, that you would live in peace and hope and joy, and not just for your own benefit, but so that you might help transform this world. He shows us the way. He is the way. He gives us life, and he is life. He reveals God, and he is God. 